The views and opinions expressed on the Poor Ass Podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of BME Recovery Content Productions. Any content provided by our guests are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. And on that note, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I have a new website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes. That's www.poraspodcast.com. So if you hear vcomedy.com, that is the old website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes and enjoy the show thanks for listening thanks for supporting bye welcome everyone welcome to another episode of poor ass podcast the podcast where we talk about tough shit on a budget and can we live a sustainable life while living on a budget? I have with me my guest and friend, James Quedado. And he is a person in recovery. He is your San Francisco's own queer, brown activist, drag queen, and exceptional dancer. <laughs> and... <laughs> Your Instagram videos of your dancing just like brings me joy when it pops up on my feed. I just, I just have to say. Uh, so we're going to talk Thank about, re- yeah, we're going to talk about representation and inclusion on a budget. And James, there's so much I want to talk to you about. How? Okay, first of all, how has the I'm so ready for it, Veronica? It's so good to be here with you. I'm really grateful that you asked me to be on yeah. your show. I'm excited. How you doing? How, how has the pandemic been treating you? Uh, wow, that's a um, big question. And um, I'm going to see if I can break it down on um, very specific moments. Um, overall, it has been really good <laughs> for mm-hmm. me, at least. Um, well, you know, when we first quarantined, sheltered in place here and back in San Francisco back in March, it was... Um, you know, it, it was definitely an unknown territory for all of us, for a lot of people, for sure. We, I have not gone through any pandemic um, like this where people have to shelter in place. So it was a new experience. And um, But early, early back in March, I also felt, you know, quarantining and being sheltered in place, it actually um, gave me a lot of... Um, a lot of space where I can create because I'm not going outside dealing with microaggression and racism, cashful racism, right? Mm -hmm. That I would normally encounter on a day-to-day basis, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so I 
cutting that off, it gave me a lot more sense of freedom and a lot more space where I'm not worried. I'm not thinking, I'm not anticipating, I'm not preparing for those moments and to have like, to have a defense mechanism that's already like in place. Right. Mm. When I, when I was sheltered in place, I was just like in my own home, relaxed. I'm like, I'm not worried. What's, you know, there's a, there's a clear boundary and what I'm letting into my life, right? What I'm letting into my existence rather than contending with the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So it it was a lot less, um, um, well, not a lot less, but it was, that it was definitely giving me a lot more, um, more space, more space and more time and more freedom to like, just focus on what is good for me, what I wanted. And ultimately, you know, the last six months have been a transition from that low, like awareness, right? I'm like, oh, I can actually practice this every day of my life and actually be selective in the way that I curate my experience, the way that I want, whom I want to interact with and the people I want in my life that Mm -hmm. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to just like, I'm out here in the real world. Therefore I'm accepting anything and everything that's coming my way. Um, I can just like, no, I don't have to be in those situations where I know it's going to be, um, hostile it's going to be antagonistic it's going to be weird it's going to be you know microaggressive and um, subtle racism that's being thrown so casually and um, and I can be just as um, you know yeah I can find ways I can find things people places that's going to be supportive of my experience that's going to be enhancing my experience as a queer brown person who is also a creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know if I answered that question. No. Yeah. So you mentioned micro microaggressions. And so I, in my experience, it, microaggressions are really aggressive. And, and yeah. in my experience, in my experience being a brown person, my, myself. So for, for those yeah, yeah, who are, yeah. I want to talk about just briefly and within context to you, what does microaggression look to you? Cause we may, may have people like, I've never had that experience. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Thank so. you for that. Um, you know, it's very contextual. Every microaggression that I've felt, um, it's, it's within the context of a conversation. It's within the context of what's being discussed, but, um, you know, microaggression for me is invalid, and, you know, just to like, um, to give it like a broad definition, it's when I feel that my experience, existence, and my being is being invalidated in a very subtle way that's not over, that's not, that's not openly hostile but you know it can be just one word or one sentence or one look right like mm-hmm. somebody giving me the somebody giving me the look like um i don't think you should be doing that 
you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that mm-hmm. policing of my behavior, that policing of my tone, right? It's a mm-hmm. form of microaggression. Like, I don't think you should act that way. I don't think, that, you know, we need to hear this at this moment. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, because people around me are getting uncomfortable and their reaction is defense, right? And mm-hmm. the way to, and the way, and the way that they um, get defensive and reactive is by silencing, right? Or by redirecting or by, so, you know, those are, those are forms of microaggression that I contend with on a daily basis. And um, I'm, I'm trying to be specific. Um, I have, I have, uh, I, it, um, this kind of leads me into your, the movie that you made, Chinks. Yeah. And the, That's racist, Veronica. I can't believe you said that. <laughs> I'm that. Folks, that is the title of my movie. So it's totally okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a racist word, but it's also the title of your movie. And it's a short film. It's like five, little over five minutes. But within that five minutes, it, it was, I watched it again before I hopped on and I've watched it like several times, but there's so much, there's so much to unpack in those five minutes. And that, and that film is like, if you want to know what microaggression looks like, it's it's chinks. Watch watch, yeah. watch chinks, and it's going. It's doing the film the film festival circuit, and and um, but this like where where is microaggression? And you specifically focused uh, on on dating and dating within the LGBT community, and even within the LGBT community, the. Uh, overt racism on trying to hook up with the hookup culture of the apps. It's so, it's so blatant. And yeah, then, yeah, I, it totally is. And, um, and it's hard to cut you off. Where are you adding? To, oh, do you want to add did, some more? Like, okay. So just talk about, like, talk about like, um, like how, how did chinks come, come about? Because this is, like particular content that I don't see talked about or produced and, and what was it where, cause I felt, I felt that you were fed up with the narrative and you wanted to get your voice out there. Like that's what I got when I watched the film. So how did that come about to get content that um, described your, your experience? Thank you so much. Yeah, that's a great question. Those are great points, and I, you know, and I really appreciate you. I'm grateful that um, you're talking up um, the movie Chinks, and um, yeah, so um, Chinks has been something that's been in my head for maybe over, let's see, over two decades, right? Ever since I started dating back in my early twenties, and. Um, but um, yeah, the way that came about, you know, I'm a child of the AOL <laughs> chat rooms <laughs> back in the nineties, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and we all know all about the chat rooms back then. And um, but that's back in the nineties. A lot of um, you know the the gays um, back then um, were forming communities online, right and which was great. This is what the internet was created for. It was supposed to like create, connect these people that's so distant, that's so far away from each other. And then they can form this amazing community online and 
find refuge, right? Which is great for a lot of teens back then, a lot of people, a lot of queer people in their early 20s who are getting kicked out of their homes. And where else are they going to find a community? Because they're too young to go into bars, right? And yeah. and that's the thing too. Bars and clubs were the only queer spaces back then. So all of a sudden internet and chat rooms and online stuff started happening. You know, there's gay.com back in the early aughts. There's Planet Romeo. There's um, all these things that popped up um, at the early .com, the first .com um, era back in the early aughts. And, um, and what also came with that is this anonymity, right? The sense that um, you don't know what I look like and you don't know what um, where I am so I can openly and speak freely. And that also emerged the darker side of the, you know, what, you know, what we continue to experience today, the darker side of the internet, right? That, you know, people are openly racist, people are openly sexist, people are openly transphobic and homophobic, and they're hiding behind this um, anonymous um, screen name and our anonymous avatar, and um, and they don't care. And so it, it allowed for these, um, you know, open expression of even the darkest of the darkest um, thoughts, um, you know, is also being given platform. And so, you know, within the gay queer context and the online dating app, a lot more people became explicit in what they felt were preferences, which included racial preferences Mm -hmm. to the point of excluding, excluding people of, people of an entire race, right? Um, so that whole thing with the chinks, with the movie that I created, I made, I, co- I co-produced and co-directed last year with a couple of friends in recovery, um, you know, it's what it's what I have experienced personally. It's, um, you know, being contented with the messaging of no Blacks, no Asians, no femmes, um, even even like discriminating against people with HIV, right? Mm-hmm. People, and they want someone that's totally negative, that's totally, they don't want, you know, they see, you know, being HIV positive as like something that's so unattractive and so like they, they don't deserve love, right? So people, so what people who are writing these messages, there's what, what their motivation is, they're just, expressing preferences because they want to be efficient online and they want to attract what, um, you know, they want to attract, you know, specific people and they don't want to cut through a lot of, um, you know, what they feel is not what, not, not what they're looking for. Right. They just want to be really clear from the get go. What they don't understand is the people behind those people that they're excluding, right. The people behind the, the black people that they're excluding, the mm-hmm. Asian people that they're excluding, the femme people th- that they're excluding, and people with HIV that they're excluding, and how those um, messages are landing when they receive it and how they get internalized, right? Mm-hmm. I'm unwanted. I'm unlovable because somebody says that they don't want me. Mm-hmm. So that's the pain and hurt that I wanted to emerge, which is something, and you picked up on this. This is a narrative that's rarely out, that's that's not rarely seen 
number one in the mainstream obviously but even in the queer mainstream um you know platforms right yeah you know this idea of like oh we don't really examine the um complexity within the gay community and specifically this like dating apps that's so um you know there's i'm i'm listening not i'm not listening but um you know there was this Eating Out series movie. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Um, so it was no. out in the... No, explain, um, explain. So Eating Out is kind of like, um, you know, a very um, homonormative type of like um, queer movie about boy meets boy, boy goes through, um, you know, some hardship of dating and then goes through several men and then ultimately goes back to, um, you know, the, the first boy that they broke up with because mm-hmm. they, they didn't like the first boy, but ultimately had uh, a reckoning of themselves that, you know, that they're looking for love in all the wrong places. Right. Yeah. And, um, and mostly the actors um, in, in this, it was a series. It's like eating out one, eating out two, eating out three. And it was like something that was so celebrated at, for example, Frameline Film Festival, right? They actually approved, you know, it's like put them as an official selection and like gave them a whole, a whole platform. But it was like, it was very white. The story was very white. Mm-hmm. The story was um, very centered in upper white um, or upper middle class, um, you know, rich, <laughs> rich young gay white men who are who are the who are the protagonists of the of the movies, and I'm like, and they never had to contend with the race issue. I'm like, of course they don't, because they're already of a privileged class. This is something that's not that they're not that's not in their experience. Mm-hmm. So. I wanted something that's, um, you know, because I know that I'm not the only person that has experienced this um, racism and microaggression online on the apps. And I know that there's countless millions more and there's actually articles about this, about racism in the dating apps, racism in the gay community. So it's not, it's not, it's nothing new, but for me, visually, it was really important to capture that moment of, um, of how it's landing on the other side, because we never see the other side of, you know, behind these exclusionary messaging, right? We just see this message, we just see these profiles with exclusionary messaging, but we never really examine how it's landing on the other side. So I wanted to capture that really, really heartbreaking moment when these things are being, you know, are being expressed online. Mhm. Mhm. Um as you were as you were sh- uh talking about, you know, micro uh, the microaggressions within the LGBT community and that that you know, when it does bring up or it is highlighted, I see it mostly in like, you know, Facebook Facebook com- comment comments, mm. but like in terms of content like Netflix or Hulu or, or Amazon, it's kind of, it's kind of like one of those, um, to me, it's like the shameful secret or the shame, the shameful things that, that it, it happens. But because, because like the LGBT, the, you know, the queer community as a whole for decades, centuries, if you want to go that, that far, but Uh you know, 
uh, that they're getting so much opposition that to even look at the micro, the in, the infighting or the internal is, is to me, I mean, this is what, what I see. It's like, we can't focus on that because we have quote unquote, bigger things, bigger, bigger issues. But at the mm. same time, it's like, it's, it's all part of the soup. Like if you're not like handling that aspect, it's going to pop up. Like for sure, for sure. And I think the greater good, the greater picture. Yes. And I think also what we're experiencing the past several months has definitely um, put that in that this whole question of race within LGBT community and racism has definitely put that in uh, in sharp focus because, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with Love, Victor on Hulu, which is a spinoff of Love, Simon, right? Love, mm-hmm. Simon was this teen queer um, romantic comedy that came out maybe two years ago. Yeah. And Hulu and Hulu Disney bought the rights for a spinoff and Love, Victor came out. You know, Love, Victor is a story, supposed to be a story about a Latinx um, queer boy coming out story. Mm. And... That's not what came out. It, you know, his coming out story was so, uh, it followed the narrative of a white boy coming out story. Like, even though mm-hmm. he, there was like Latinx family that, you know, that were principal characters, the whole like, the whole examination of that culture did not even come up. It just became like this. Yeah, it was just like, where was that nuance? Where was that nuance? Because that would have been a, a so much more interesting moment to examine how homophobia within the Latinx community is also persistent, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I have not seen Love, Simon or Love, Victor, but based on yeah. what you have seen, I'm not really surprised they went that, they went that yeah. route. That route. Exactly. Of just like whitewashing someone's experience like experience of like really can the the like you know how was your coming out like (laughs) (laughs) oh my god it's like my mother blamed herself and then she blamed me and then she told me i'm gonna go to hell (laughs) (laughs) lovely and and i'm sure that was you know the experiences of of many like yeah like you know Catholic or whatever boy, boys of color coming coming out. Yeah, for sure. And um, that, that and that wasn't even like it didn't even came up in a way that was like yeah, it didn't come up at all. I mean, it came up via grandparents, but even then, it's like their reaction was just like, huh, this is this this is ringing like it felt like. The, the character Victor and his family, the way that it was written, was written by a white person. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, uh, and okay. you know, originally probably written like, it was probably written like a white character, right? The, the original role of Victor was probably, and they just like, oh, we got to be diverse and let's put in a Mexican family or Latinx family instead of white family and, you know, tweak it a little bit. But there was no... Um, there was no grounding in the Latinx experience, right? That's mm-hmm. that's what I'm um, emerging, and um, and the way that queer and you know mainstream queer cinema, right, and the way that they um, that they're selecting narratives, or that um, you know the way that narr- you know 
film festivals run. And, um, you know, I'm really grateful that you mentioned film festivals because, um, you know, <laughs> the, the movie that Chanks was actually just freshly rejected by Frameline this year. <laughs> oh, Thanks, Frameline. <laughs> freshly rejected, yes. <laughs> but um, and I'm okay with that. I'm totally like whatever. It's like it's not the it's not the only film festival that's out there. And the funny thing is that the film is getting recognized elsewhere. And um, it's really amazing how people are responding to it. And I think that's really why I wanted to have that film made um, right away because <laughs> I wrote that script back in the summer last year. I you know, got together with two of my friends um, from recovery. One of them is um, the, my co-director and co-producer who knows so much about filmmaking. And the other one is my du- director of photography, Scott, Scott and Aaron. And, um, and we shot it on a weekend and we shot it on a budget. We pulled our money together and um, because they believed in the story, they believed in the way that, you know, this needs to get out there. And, um, and we fundraise the shit out of it so we can get into film festivals so we can get a more, um, you know, more eyeballs on it. And, um, and it is, and it's still getting some, some recognition as, um, you know, as we reach our one year um, since the filming of that, um, of that movie. So. Yeah. Um, excellent casting by, by the way, I think the, the character, every character had, was 3D like it had de- had had depth that a store even the sides the side the side characters where they did their monologue on, and they're describing like ooh this is what I what I like and it sounds all fun and flirty and then till they say like no blacks no fans oh yeah. I oh the 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 psychosis of the hypocrisy of like I'm open minded but no blacks I'm like well what <laughs> What exactly are you open, like just open-minded in, for a certain, a certain segment? And that's, you know, and that's just being like, like human, like the ugly side of being human. Cause like in their reality, their reality, they, they might think they're a great, a great person, but at the same for time, sure. like, you really want to date someone like, like that. And not, not to give away like too much, but, but like it's five minutes. You can give it all. I'll try to speak generally. Like, like, you know, just like the twist. There's so many good, yeah. good twists yes, like yes. where like, you, you have your interactions or, you know, in your friends trying to set you up, but it's like a d- disaster. And you think this person is like, Oh, really? Like, empathic but then they're like yeah you're you're cute for an asian person or you're you're more handsome it's like oh it's like i'm trying to think of like like i've i've done that before and not Mm. not knowing just not knowing like i'm trying to give a compliment but you're really being a jerk i'm like oh my god like like awareness.com like when have i ever been that like you know the backhanded compliments like i've I'm sure I've given them before, but man, I have surely received backhanded compliments before, even in in like recovery, like the backhanded, like 
complement in recovery, which is so even more jarring because you're trying to find a community where you're safe and you want to grow. And then you come across people where it's like, you know, cause I came in young, I came in, I came in recovery young. I was 26 Mm. And I'm on the uh, friends and family side of being affected by someone's right, right. alcoholism. So, you know, when I talk about you know, like my experience being a young person, then it's like microaggressions from older older people from a certain generation be like, well, your life is ahead of you. Like, that's not helpful right now. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> boomer. <laughs> it's, it's so okay, boomer. Like, you know what? You want to you wanna invalidate a, a person or like, you know, young people making you uncomfortable or, or whatnot because their share is really speaking to your experience. Like it's triggering memories that you you wanted to forget when you were 20, but then you have a 20 something like sharing exactly what you're experiencing and you're getting all triggered, like the boomer, boomer mm. person, the boomer, yeah. boomer person's getting all triggered and, and whatnot. And like, you know, just do what we've always suggested in the recovery community. You just say, thank you. You just thank yeah. you. Thank you for your share. You shut up, you shake your hand <laughs> and then you leave. But no, you just stay there with the backhanded compliments and like the microaggressions, like you, you're ruining a moment. You're just ruining yeah. a moment. <laughs> I agree with you. You know, it's like I've, I have been also on the receiving ends of microaggression while, um, you know, hanging out in the recovery community that, um, that you and I are, are part of, um, the others, I'm on the other side of that, um, spectrum <laughs> as it were. Um, but yeah, so the whole like, um, recovery community and the microaggression that, you know, that's also consistent with my experience, you know, I having been in recovery for the last six years and, um, interacting, you know, th these are predominantly white spaces, Veronica. And, um, yeah. and that's, what's like, so, um, amazing about it that I feel like the time that we're in right now, the way that, you know, Black Lives Matter, the way that the protests are happening, it's making our recovery community contend, contend with its own race problem mm -hmm. because it does have a race problem and, um, and it continues to have a race problem. And, um, and I'm one of those folks that doesn't shy away from sharing from that experience and sharing that experience of myself. And, um, and, you know, to the point that I am intentionally making the whole room uncomfortable and to, and to forcing people to sit with their discomfort when I do share on those issues. Mm -hmm. And, um, I get off on it. That's my jam. <laughs> and, um, it's, uh, it's intentional and, um, and, and I love doing it. And, um, yeah. And, but I, I've all, like, I, like you said, you know, I've been in me, I've been in meetings where someone says race doesn't have a place here. We're all, mm. or the, the, the other one that I love hearing, <laughs> it's like, we're all just alcoholics here. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're, mm -hmm. we're not, we're all just that. And I'm like, no, that's not my experience because my, um, my recovery is wrapped up as well with the fact that I'm queer and I'm also brown. I'm not just this 
person in recovery. I am a multitude multitude of these things. I contain multitudes, right? Yeah. And it's not I I cannot compartmentalize my life that, you know, I cannot not bring in all these experiences that I have had so far and continue to have, right? And to not share on it is to deny my existence, is mm-hmm. to deny that part of me. It's to like remove that part of me from myself and put it away somewhere whenever I go hang out in the recovery community. That's not sustainable for me. And that's also not true for me, right? So what has been my guiding um my guiding, um, you know, I, I don't know, guiding light or guiding um, thought with this whole thing. It's like, you know, I'm going to continue sharing and I'm going to continue sharing so long as it's so long as it is true and so long as it is loving and so long as it is from the heart. Right. And um, what anyone else thinks about my share is none of my business. And um, and if they're having feelings, thoughts or whatever, they can always call their, you know. They're, they're people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think this is this transition of COVID is really bringing out. You can't hide anymore. It's, no. it's like no one like before. Maybe though, whether you're in recovery or not in recovery, people are forced to look at their char- character defects. That includes me. You know, when I'm in a mm-hmm. I'm, when I'm in a halt, hang, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, like, yeah, I get extra racist. I get extra yeah. big. The bigotry comes out more. The ageism comes out more. I recently yeah. had to make amends to a fellow like it. It was the first thought wrong. It came out. A comment came out. And the moment it came out, it's like, yeah, that wasn't helpful. And she called me out on it. And which she had perfectly the, the right to do as a member of like, Hey, you hurt my feelings and you know, me doing the 10 step instead of gaslighting her, which that was a definite coping skill that I had of gaslighting and minimizing another person's like experience. And it's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I was a jerk. That wasn't a kind comment. And you know, more, more of that. Like you can't, you can't hide this any anymore. I know. Um, oh, but it's also a challenge too. Like, I don't know if you've experienced this when it comes to representation and, and inclusion in, in mm-hmm. art and art and, and recovery. Um, you know, the, the system and play, it's not going to go down without a fight for sure. And I'm, I'm experience, experiencing that. Um, Tell me more about that experience. What, what do you, um, what, what is your experience? Well, um, I know there, there's more spaces online, online meetings because, because we're in mm-hmm. a pandemic, but because we're in a mm-hmm. pandemic, uh, more online meetings f- that are POC focus are coming oh, up. Yeah. And before, before it was, if you, uh, speaking of focus meetings, there's, you know, LGBT women, men. And, mm-hmm. and those were like the acceptable, like focus, fo- focus groups. But the moment mm-hmm. you start, like it's a, it's a person of color, like focus meeting, like people get all like, like uppity, <laughs> uppity uptight, like uh, you're, yeah. you're being exclusionary. You're being like, it's not like, dude, like the, f- the breaking the third tradition. That's yeah. what they love to say. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm like, but there, but like no, but like men's meetings, like not a peep women's meetings, yeah. like not, not a peep like LGBT meetings, exactly. like, 
like LGBT, the acceptance of the focus of LGBT meetings is pretty, pretty recent. Um, well, it's also predominantly white. So that's the thing too, as well. Even yeah. LGBT um, meetings is still white. It's still, still a white space, right? It's not diverse. It's still a pretty, um, and I, I have, and I want to add cis gay white, mm-hmm. you know, experience predominantly. And um, so, you know, these are people in privilege. So there's definitely a lot less, um, pushback on those meetings but yeah yeah, it's um i just recently got a hold this morning of um of the bipoc online meetings that uh that you're talking about it's kind of like the the green mile book you know that movie (laughs) oh my god oh my god because i i i I was i was going i going to one and we were talking about zoom zoom safety yeah zoom safety and then for for a while i wasn't i wasn't really advertising that that meeting because we were still like setting up we didn't like quite have a host but but in terms of you know um online meeting safety, the women's meetings and the bike park meetings were targeted the most of zoom bombing. Oh yeah. Way, That's way crazy. More, way more than the other like, like meetings. And for a reason, it's so easy. It's more accessible and easy to be racist anonymously uh, behind mm-hmm. the screen than you were, yeah. were in person. So, and it's so triggering. And I, I know the, the trauma, the level of trauma, you know, the POC, um, recovery community, like, you know, in, in, in white, white recovery spaces, like awesome. You have trauma too. We have trauma yeah, too, but exactly. like, but combined compound, it's exponentially compounded the trauma and the abuse that happens in POC um, alcoholic communities and homes on the POC side. So, so for sure. Yeah. And I've noticed like, you know, empowering ourselves as POC in recovery, you know, when you see zoom bombing in terms of like they turn their camera off and it's the Confederate flag or, you know, they start posting on the chat, like racist and homophobic slurs or private messaging. It's, it's like so jarring. It's like, great. I'm dealing, I dealt with this outside the rooms and I'm dealing with this. And it's, it's like, you know, the, um, the fight flight response, like kick in, you shut down and it's like, there's actually absolutely no bandwidth to like fight, to fight back. So it's kind of like, um, I mean, and and it's like, it's easier said than done. Like, oh, don't take it so personal. Like, like, dude, like I, I get it. Who's saying that? Who's saying that? Consider the source. (laughs) At the same time, time, don't take it personally. No one can take away your, your seat, even though they might be very loud and be like, this meeting can't exist. I'm like, girl, sit down. Girl, bye. Yeah. <laughs> Sit down. We, can, we, can yeah. we do have a right to yeah. be here. We do have a right to have a focus meeting. And you are welcome. You're going to hear a lot of experience, strength, and hope from trans, BIPOC people and how we're affected. And that's uncomfortable for you. You know, you could log off, take a break, but you can't tell exactly. us. Exactly. 
I, I, I've heard stories of, you know, white recovery members coming into people of color members, like, and the person got uncomfortable and I, I'm going to report you. I'm going to, <laughs> but they got scared. They got yeah. scared and that meeting like folded. Cause it's like, well, cause it's like who, like, okay, a white person's going to do the complaint. Like, mm, wonder who they're going to believe, you know? Yeah, exactly. In, in the recovery community, here's the thing with the recovery community. Like, even if someone gets all uppity and be like, I'm going to report you, like, mm, dude, let them. Girl, go, go. Report, yeah. report us. Report us. You, We said that you were welcome. We follow the form, format. We're autonomous. We welcome everyone. But the focus is 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 BIPOC and it will always be BIPOC. Yeah. That's the group conscious. The group con- And even if you... In, in, and even if you're like you're not or you're adjacent, like, you know, go ahead and, and share. But our format is people of color focus. I know some meetings have gone only, only people of color. Like, oh, good oh, luck. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I actually went to a meeting this morning that was only BIPOC and I loved it. I love and I was sharing on this this morning, you know, when I go to, um, you know, predominantly white space recovery meetings or white spaces. Um, There is this, um, there's this subtle defense that I put up, right? There's a subtle, like um, there's a wall that I put up. Even, even when I'm being vulnerable, there's still that low, there's still that something, something still like, I'm not, I'm not um, fully present. There's still like a low, low, low level um, anxiety that whenever I share, right. Mm -hmm. It's like some people are not going to like it, which is fine. But, um, you know, being in the, in the meeting this morning where everyone's BIPOC and everyone's just openly sharing what their experience as a, as a people of color in AA, that, that, that feeling that I, I usually have in, um, in general meetings, it's not, was not there. Mm-hmm. There was yeah. this sense of freedom that I felt. It was, it was like amazing. I'm like, I'm not feeling that thing. I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not guarding myself. I'm not, you know, I'm not like anticipating someone might get pissed off with what I said. I'm just, yeah, it was, it was really like, it was really freedom in the truest sense, you know, where I can just be, you know, instead of, you know, performing for someone else's benefit or making someone comfortable or may, you know, making sure that I don't piss people off in the room or, you know, that, that energy, like, I don't have to think, I didn't have to think about that, which is definitely like a lot more clearer in my head space about it. Mm-hmm. So that was like amazing for me. Yeah. I get, I get on, I get it on both. I, I do get, I see the benefits on, on both sides and, mm-hmm. um, it kind of runs into a slippery slope of like, you know, no, the, the only requirement for membership is whatever your deal is with, with yeah. that. So like, you know, like the should of, yeah, everyone should be welcome, but in practice it's not. So how do you, how yeah. do you create spaces? How do you create? Yeah. Cause here's the thing that I, I mean, maybe this touches upon like white fragility of like this once, once, once a white person, and I speak it in generally, I'm talking about like the privilege of the the, mm-hmm. uh, the foundation that supports this. Of once, cock, like I don't know, I can't, I don't know what else to describe it, but like once, um, I mean, like white fragility is white fragility. It's like once you're denied mm-hmm. 
once you're denied, if you are denied, like all the Karens or, you know, the Chads or whatever, like once you're denied mm-hmm. a place, like it's like, oh, I'm, I can't go here. Like I'm supposed to go everywhere, like everywhere. Right. And it's like, <laughs> and there's, it's like that. It's like, I'm, I'm more, I'm, I'm talking about that. There's a difference between, and, and you want to know why those places are you know poc only because they don't want that white fragility and even if you say but i'm accepting like uh you're benefiting you have benefited even if you're not racist racist yourself Mm -hmm. some way indirectly you have benefited from the privilege generational privilege you have benefited and if you're not ready if ready to like face that you probably won't have a good time at those POC meetings because you yourself right. have not done the inventory and the work to at, to shut your mouth and hold space for, yeah, for these people. Exactly. So uh, it's like you're, you're making this about you again. If you, if all that's, if that's all you can think about is that you are entitled to a space, you're making it about you. For me, it's about safety, right? I need mm-hmm. to be safe. I need to feel safe. And, and for me to have that meeting this morning, it, I, I felt that's what it was. It's like, mm-hmm. I felt super safe. Mm-hmm. I felt super safe and I didn't have to cater my message. I didn't have to tweak my message again. Yeah. And I, I rarely do, but still there's this you know again there's like a little bit of defense that's happening in whenever i walk into um you know recovery meetings that's predominantly white right and um but yeah it's it's for me it's a matter of safety and um if if that's what the group wants is safety for poc members then they are allowed to have that safety and that's that's the unity that that's being talked about in the first tradition right Mm -hmm. yeah but um, I have a question. Like, when it comes to representation and inclusion, and and you know meetings, meetings that have you know PO, POC only, and mm-hmm. na- just navigating the uncharted waters of you know biracial people or passing white, and they want to go to the POC meeting. Like, I got a nephew. He's half. Mm-hmm. He's, ha- he's half Mexican, half white. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. Yeah. He totally looks like a little white white boy. And yeah. like, hey, if he needs co- recovery and he wants to go to the POC meeting, but they won't let him like, oh, you're white. And he's like, what what yeah. kind of messes does that bring him? Like he his sister and my sister's brown, like like brown. She's brown Mexican. And then my brother and I got more like on the, the Europeans, like Spanish side. But right, you know, right. He, he, you put them together like he totally he has my he, his mom's nose and his mom's mm-hmm. chin like you know there's some traits like he totally looks like like my sister and then there's some like he totally looks like his his daddy but he's he's bi biracial and that's like a whole yeah. complicated thing like my for sure so yeah. how do you even like na- navigate that like i get i get safety but i also get like you know, creating, creating not just meetings, but like programming and events mm-hmm. like, and content where you have, you know, POC keynote speakers or, co- or panel topics that talk about, you know, white passing and, and recovery and navigating those spaces. Like that's even more, more powerful. And I'm, and, you know, I'm getting, 
I'm trying to, you know, build a community on the young, young recovery front. And I say young recovery in terms of like the experiences a young person goes through, like moving out of your mm-hmm. parents, moving out of your parents for the first time, you know, being self-supporting, mm-hmm. you know, I've as a teen mentor to teens in alcoholic homes, like some of them have been emancipated. Like they, they're 15, 16, they're on their own. They're emancipated from their, their parents. Like where's the program speaks to that experience, the college years going, going to college and being in recovery, you know, um, working. Yeah. You know, I, I've had, I, I'm a contractor. I have a different job, like every three to six months. And this is my third move. You know, we, we, we move a lot. So, but, you yeah. know, you talk about just white predominantly spaces or, you know, the socioeconomic, like, you know, we're mostly, mostly retired. So the content that's being produced, it's mostly retired or, or safe topics. Yeah, like, exactly. Like gra- gratitude, the gratitude panel, which I, <laughs> nothing against gratitude. Like, believe me, like gra- gratitude lists and like t- inventorying on gratitude has definitely helped. But for the past 15 years of you just putting out content, that's just gratitude and safe bait, safe bet topics. I mean, you're yeah. not, you're, that doesn't attract a POC demographic because they want to talk about their experience. And what is that experience? Like trauma, all of the trauma, you know, being by, can we talk about racism and how that's affected growing up in an alcoholic home? Like that's what we're experiencing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, those, those, those are great points. And to, to your point about, um, you know, biracial folks or mixed folks um, going into POC meeting, the speaker this morning was half white and half Native American. Mm-hmm. So there is an allowance of that, not allowance, I'm not, you know, we're not allowing folks. But um, I think for me, the to navigate that spacing, um, for me, it's the acknowledgement of the privilege that each person, even I have privilege, right? I'm not black. So I, I have a different experience than, uh, uh, you know, I have a different experience from a black person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, therefore, I'm more privileged because, of, because I'm not black. And so I can speak on that and I can bring that into the POC meeting. And the same thing with... Um, with a mixed person, I you know it's like yeah they're welcome to go into POC meeting even if they're white passing, but have they acknowledged their privilege in a way that's um, healthy and also supportive of that meeting? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that yeah. they're not, they're not just taking up spaces away from um, or they're not they're not taking up space in a way or and time in a way that you know they're they're not um, sensitive to their own privilege how much they have been afforded privilege because of their white passing mm-hmm. no that's true yeah I, whatever i growing up in the growing up in the 80s and, and 90s and just the family that that i had like the privilege we were you know third generation Mexican and like on my dad's mm-hmm. side, I would call them like crazy rich Mexicans, and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so funny, um, <laughs> and just like you know, my grandfather got into real estate after the war, after World War Two, and mm-hmm. that's and um that's how he survived and like the legacy that, that he left. Like I know if he didn't get into real real estate, he has since like passed away. If he didn't get into real estate, I don't know what would happen to my dad. Yeah. But he's fine. He's going to be okay. 
He's, yeah. gonna, he's going to be okay. But what Mexican families in the 1950s were investing into real estate? You know, yeah, very yeah. few, very few. <laughs> he, he was one of he was one of the few, and you know, with bi biracial. And, you know, I've definitely been affected like that. You had a better chance of survival if you were dating white men and marrying into exactly. white families. So your your offspring were white passing and had a fucking chance to, to survive. You know, white, yeah. white passing meant life and death. For sure, and um, and and the, and that's a that's a great distinction from um, the way back then, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Why um, why that was um, why that was practiced by a, a lot of racial minorities to mm -hmm. marry white, right? Mm -hmm. But um, I think um, today it's there's I think there's a valid critique of this idea that are they marrying white because they want to be close because of this idea of proximity to whiteness, right? Mm -hmm. This idea that if I marry white then I can have the power, I can have all the resources, I can have this. And to the point of, um, I, I'm not, I'm not sure what uh, people's motivations are, why, why they marry their partner, but there is that subtlety there. There's like, you know, even, um, even in the Asian community, you know, it's like dating black people is seen as something like less than, as something that, uh, you know, it's like, oh, don't don't date black people, right? But when pe people within the Asian community date white folks, it, that's okay. Yeah. In fact, that's celebrated. Yeah. Right? So it's this idea, this is this really toxic idea that, you know, it's like white is good or white is right. Everything else is not okay. Mm -hmm. Right? So there's that dominant white patriarchal system that's being, you know, that's been internalized over generations. That's like, oh, keep marrying white, keep marrying white, because that's our entry to society. That's how we gain power. That's how, but ultimately, it's just like today, does it even... It, does it apply? You know, that, that idea is like, does it apply? And I don't, and the answer to that question is, I don't know. And I don't know what, I, I don't know whether, um, you know, how much of that is like the, again, um, upholding the white patriarchal system of like white is right. And therefore mm -hmm. I need to get as close to it as possible. Yeah. No, I get it. I, I think, I think COVID is definitely changing the game. Um, wh whether people don't want to wear their mask or wear their mask, it doesn't matter. COVID doesn't give a, give a fuck. It will, destroy, it will destroy your lungs. And even if you survive, there's like the after the aftershocks and you'll have problems for the rest of your life. And hey, you might get lucky and you might be asymptomatic. Or maybe, you know, eventually the... Um, you know, there was no vaccine for the Spanish flu. It mutated on itself. It, it mutated... Mm -hmm. You know, it mutated into something less less da dangerous, and like I don't know, maybe yeah. the, same, the same will happen with COVID. But Spanish flu was five years, and maybe with Corona, it's going to be like like five years. But what I my hope my hope is awesome. We're we're in this for the next for the next f five years. And, um, you know, privilege, patriarchy is definitely not going to go down without a fight, but maybe it needs that five, five years to put you in a corner and think about what you've done. Cause after the five years, I, 
I doubt that people will accept going, going back. Like if you even try like five years from now and people try to do their privilege or their macroaggressions, I think the con- the collective consciousness will be the zero tolerance, the zero tolerance. For sure. Like what? Like, what are you doing? What? Cause I, okay. I've been watching like love, Lovecraft country on, on HBO same same it's crazy like like, you know there was a time not not too long ago a time totally acceptable to lynch to lynch yeah totally acceptable to have a sundown county where if you're not crossing county lines after i i have a legal right to hang you on the spot and so accepting like Jim, I didn't Crow. even know about the Sandown County. Just like watching Lovecraft County, I learned something new. It's just like <laughs> what that that thing existed. You have to fucking leave a county yeah. at Sandown. Yeah, that's crazy. That is so fucking intense. Yeah. I can't imagine. And like you know, they had the green the green book. You know, these are the safe yeah. safe place to go. Like what? <laughs> Like, yeah. it's, but you know, I'm, I'm a, per, I'm a child of the eighties and nineties. Like it's it, so, yeah. it's kind of like, well, at least, at least I don't need to be like, it's like, I mean, I don't, I like, that's even unacceptable to me. I don't want at least this or at least that. How about just no, yeah. like no, yeah. unacceptable, unacceptable to give someone a backhanded compliment after a yeah. share. Like, it's just, I think- like, no. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. I think, um, you know, there's no returning to the time before COVID. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to, the, to the great before. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the no, great no, before. Oh, great after. Yeah. The great before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there's no returning to the great before. It's just like really, um, you know, it's just like the the toothpaste is out of the tube, right? It's mm-hmm. just like, yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of, um, you know, what a friend of mine talked about, um, the great revolutions of, you know, historically, and it, there's always like this, um, epidemic or a pandemic that's happened globally to bring about a gr- this a massive revolution, this uprising, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we're in the process of that, right? That um, the workers are opening their eyes, the working class are opening their eyes, the poors are opening their eyes and how much um, inequality there is, not just on a, uh, on a racial level, but class level, right? Who owns what? It's like, it's open, it's like so obvious and who owns what and and how much those people how much of those capitalists actually rely on on the labor on the on the labor of black and brown and working class Mm -hmm. folks right and um so this eye-opening experience hopefully is like no they need us more than we need them yeah right so hopefully that's that's what's gonna come about is um this great like not not in a revolution like up uprising, but this um, systemic revolution, right? This um, the purging of this idea that you know we got to be capitalists, and how about like we get to share resources, you know, and can and help others, right? These are you know these are really good practice to be in this world is to be able to like share and help each other. Yeah, I, I, and uh, 
I don't know if you yeah. noticed this, like the recovery community is a, you know, microcosm of, of, of the world. So if I mm-hmm. see changes in, in the recovery community, most likely those changes will reflect in um, my outside, my outside life. And the, yeah. you know, right now there is resistance to acceptance of uh, a young recovery content, content expression where, mm-hmm. you know, it, having meetings that are focused on, on young recovery is okay. But once you start getting into like tradition nine committees, like out, outreach mm-hmm. committees or co- a committee focus where it's focusing on young recovery, then that's when people say like, whoa, slow down. I'm like, you're not doing the service. Like myself and right. other, other young people, you know, we've been in recovery more than 10 years, maybe more than you. And mm-hmm. not to trump you on time or anything like that, but look, you know, when it comes to recovery or the 12-step approach to recovery, you know, you let it begin with me. It's a very grassroots effort. And you, and if you have people willing to do the work because they have invested interests, let them. Exactly. Let them. And it's like the slow and it's, you know, on my side of being affected, like the control control is a big thing like okay we can't control oh. can't control the addict can't control the alcoholic but maybe i can control here and it's like nope can't control here or okay well maybe i can control the, yeah i can't control there like how about no how about <laughs> no you can't control here here or even here like maybe if anything you could probably control like you know yeah i have control issues too like when it comes to my birthday like I plan my birthday. Exactly. I, I like planning my birthday. I don't want anyone else fucking up my birthday. Like I plan my <laughs> birthday and I plan like six months out. Um, yeah. yeah. So if you want to participate, like if you want to plan my birthday, you got to talk to me like six months prior. If you're not talking to me, <laughs> if, you're not talk, if you're not talking to me six months prior, like, no. No, you, you missed the window. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not invited. I had a person, I had a pro- program person that hijacked my birthday and oh, it, it was awful. Like just awful. Hijacked my birthday, told me we were going to do something else. I'm like, that wasn't the plan. I sent you the Google invite and said, we're having, we're having dinner at the hotel. And then after we're going to see the speaker meeting. And she was like, well, that wouldn't work. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, no one told you to do this. And, um, and I'm not friends with her anymore. Cause like, no, that's like major, major boundary crossing. She didn't get it. She didn't get it. It's like, okay, awesome. Okay, nice. So if you're listening now and you wonder why Veronica's not talking to you, this is the moment. Don't fuck with people's birthday. Don't fuck. It, it, oh, fuck. It's such, a, it's such a family disease of alcoholism where it's like you're invited. You're invited to a birthday. And if you were asked to do something like, okay, yeah, like, you know, participate. But if you were just asked to go and enjoy yourself, just fucking go and enjoy yourself. Yeah. Like I didn't show up. Yeah. Just show up. I told her that I'm like, all you had to do was just show up and that. And so, (laughs) and so we stopped being friends and then, um, I had to do damage control and tell the guest list like, okay, I, what that person told you wasn't true. Never told her to do that. 
um, just mm-hmm. stick to the plans. I had to do damage control. And, you know, once I reclaimed my power, like I had to get back, back my power. So did that. And it, right. it was fine. It was like, I'm yeah. like, yes, yes. Back to the birthday, back to the birthday I wanted to, to do. Um. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's funny. Yeah. Uh, um, what else? Okay. So, okay. We're coming towards the end. Anything? Mm. So, okay. Going back to chinks, I have to say, so okay. it's out. You, you created it. It's out. It's going through the festival circuit. Like what? Mm-hmm. Like in terms of a, a person in recovery and being rec- and creative, like how, how, how did that affect your recovery and what other creative projects are in the works? Great. Um, so, um, the reason it, a lot of, um, what, what happened in Chinks is a lot of, um, my, um, my work in recovery, meaning to say it's a lot of my stuff for work in recovery. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, it's in a way it's kind of like, it's me having a visual stuff for, and, um, and really like examining, um, the patterns in my dating relationship. I'm like, why, why am I like sticking with these racist assholes? Right. Mm. And why am I continue to bark up at this racist asshole? So for me, it was really like the self-examination of like, I need to love myself. So I don't put myself in harm's way. Like I used to do. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, that, that, that was the work for me. That's how it impacted my recovery. I'm like, Oh yeah, I keep doing that to myself, and I keep hitting up these people who are obviously racist. And why do I keep doing that? And so for me, that was um, that was the recovery work at play while making that movie. And um, and yeah, it's like being able to look at my past experiences without shame and guilt. Right? Mm-hmm. I was. I was also using exclusionary language at one point of my dating profiles, Mm. right? And that was actually like something I needed to examine for myself. I did that because I had this idea about what I thought I wanted, but it was just, I was not thinking about the people that I was impacting. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why I made that film. It's for, it's again, it's a self-examination of people who are doing that, but it's also a self-examination of people putting themselves in that situation. Wow. So stop putting yourself in that situation. Love yourself and stop putting yourself in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> and I, um, so any great, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say um, as, as what I find like ex, um, experiencing what I have experienced and we're going to, we're going to wrap this up soon is uh-huh. like um, just not, being addicted to my trauma story. Like that's a big one for me. So how, how, Uh so here's chinks. It's, it's out. And by Uh using chinks as a springboard, like how, how has that opened you up even more to explore, you know, other, other topics? Yeah, actually. um, 
So before working on Chinks, I, I was actually working on a web series, in a 10-episode web series with the same two people, Scott and Aaron. And, you know, we have not worked together. And um, so we actually wrote up two episodes already together. And um, and we put that in the back burner. So part of the, um, that process, we wanted to see how well we work together collaboratively so we that's why we put out chinks first because that was a five minute um short film that was something that was easy versus a 10 episode 10 minute each episode web web series so we wanted to um to you know take a small bite see how we work we work well together so now we're resuming our writing process about this web series that's detailing a lot of um uh, the it's um what do you call it it's an ensemble cast a lot of it is um queer brown folks artists um living in san francisco in a moment of um you know the san francisco that was changing that was becoming super tacky and super um you know it's becoming all about money and less about the san francisco that people used to love right and um and how these characters navigate these spaces by um you know and also exploring their sexuality and their substance abuse wow that sounds amazing yeah Yeah. so that's um you know we're gonna continue writing on that and looking forward to making that into reality soon into film cool all right thank you Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We could talk forever on this topic. Uh, yes, thank and, you. Oh my God. Um, hopefully, we'll have you. We'll have you back on uh, when those next. I'd love to be back on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for those who are, um, you can catch me on my website vcomedy.com. That's www.veecomedy.com. My Twitter and Twitter, YouTube. And Instagram handles are on that web page. So go to that web page. And if uh, you would like a personal video message from me, I'm on Cameo. So order your personal video message um, on Cameo. And James, where can people find you? Yes, my at is at Kedaduinet. So Q U E D A D O I N G I T, Kedaduinet, on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And Chinks the Movie is at Chinks the Movie, C H I N X T H E M O V I E. And we're going to have those on the show notes too. So don't worry, listeners. Those, you don't fret. Those, those links will be on um, the show notes. Uh, thank you thank you so much James for being on the podcast awesome thank you Veronica I love you and it's great chatting with you hugs back take care everyone 